Well, thank you for coming. We really appreciate you coming to talk about procurement at a happy hour. Um, it's always, we we uh, thought this was happy hour. Yeah, so. Right? Where's we, all We the, talked uh, about bringing drinks in for, for this session because yeah. uh, uh, happy hour at 530 uh, talking about procurement is interesting. So um, so my name is David DeBrant. Uh, I'm with our international business development capture team. Um, I head up a team of folks uh, stationed around the world that work with governments basically on how to, how to buy cloud effectively. And I'm Jane Lacey. I'm out of D.C. My current role is to manage and, uh, a partner organization. Uh, we call them emerging partners, only from the stance of their emerging partners into the public sector business. Uh, so I represent public sector, but many of our partners come from the commercial world, uh, where maybe they're, they're generally very AWS tech savvy, but they don't know how to do business with our public sector customers. So my team helps them uh, to learn how to accomplish that, i.e. through procurement vehicles, um, you know, how to respond to bids, et cetera. Other, or, and or I have partners that are traditional IT vendors that have been in the public sector space for decades, selling hardware and software, and they have no idea about this AWS thing called cloud. So my team is twofold in that sense. But I came on board Amazon about seven years ago, and my job was to put contracts in place. So hence the gig of why we're here today, uh, because it, it took a couple of years to actually get some contracts in place for our public sector customers to utilize. And that's what Dave and I are going to talk about a little bit. Dave so, from the international perspective and mine from domestic. So a couple of quick questions. How many folks are government? Is anybody government in here? Couple government. Okay, great. And then how many folks are partners? Okay, great. And of those partners, are you, are you a consulting partner? Any technical partners, ISVs? Fantastic. All right. Because all that matters when it comes to procurement. Um, it's, it's a riveting topic, I know. And 5.30, like Dave said, we really should have had the happy hour. But if, if, if you're in this room, you know that you cannot, or it's very challenging to achieve a business model that's successful in public sector and even on the commercial side in some instances because if the if the if the buy is large enough even a commercial entity will say hey I, th I think we need to go out to bid for this right let's do a fair uh, apples to apples compare and make sure that I'm getting the best money for my buck right um, so we want we've put together some information to help you as partners or you as customers how you can shape opportunities and or what does an opportunity look like so that you can have a productive contractual pathway or procurement pathway forward because you've made the decision to buy cloud. You finally have listened to all the, the YouTubes, all the advice of the account managers, all the advice from partners, et cetera. You've made the decision and now it's the aha moment of, uh-oh, uh somebody wants to do a procurement or I need a, a competitive contract. And what we're trying to work people through is people obviously see the benefits of the cloud. Everybody talks about the scalability and the innovation and all the great things about cloud. What Jane and I have seen over this time is not so perfect procurement or contracting reduces or eliminates those benefits, mm -hmm. oftentimes inadvertently. And so our job, partner's job working with government is to work through that so the benefits can be accessed because there's nothing more painful than a contract that will stop that. And we'll talk about that as we go forward. But that's sort of the key theme that I would take out of this entire session. Exactly. What we, the, both Dave and I have, I worked in Capture again with the contracts piece and, and, and Dave and I, of course, came in with a clean slate, right? Amazon Web Services was a commercial entity. Um, they dealt with commercial customers right off the bat. And then this public sector thing came along and so this had this clean slate of how do we do this? What does a cloud procurement look like? Well, the minute you walk into the state of, put your name into it, or federal agency, or even an education, higher education, they, they pull out the old IT contract, say, hey, we're going to refresh those servers. You want to throw in a little cloud with it? It looks very different. But to a procurement officer, it looks the same because it's easy to pull out that same piece of paper that you've been doing for 20 years and just say, hey, you figure out, Mr. Vendor, how you can, you know, you, you fit yourself into my set of terms here. 
And so Dave and I, along with some other great folks on our teams, came up with a lot of good use cases to help educate those procurement folks and shape those opportunities so that they actually talked about cloud in a way with which we've all learned how to articulate cloud. So again, that's what today is all about, right? It's exactly what it's about. All right, so it's, it's, a, it's a shift. The procurement is a shift. And I, the good news is, after seven years of doing this, um, the procurements that are hitting the street really do reflect cloud in the way we talk about cloud at Amazon Web Services. So we've, we've been impactful, um, but believe it or not, I can still walk into many government agencies and they think I'm de delivering their prime package. So we still have a long ways to go. So first of all, you gotta, if, if you're a business person in this room, obviously with the partners and even for the customers, you gotta know what the opportunity is, right? Otherwise, why are we here? If there's, if, if there's no scope to uh, a revenue or even for our customers, how is AWS and our partner community solving your challenges? Well, these folks in this slide, along with probably hundreds of thousands of others, can tell you how it's benefited them. This, this just represents a handful of our current public sector customers across the globe. Lots of international ones on there. Lots of US ones. And, and I think the interesting thing about these folks is a lot of them experimented. And you know, good procurement people can find ways to do things and do it correctly if they really put their mind to it. And, and on the contracting side. So it's finding those sort of leaders and there's leaders in all types of, of government, technical, security, as well as procurement. And there's people who want to do this. So it's finding those people who want to go make this happen the right way. Right. So this is to demonstrate the cross section. And even for our technology partners in the room, there's many of opportunity to get into these public sector uh, customers as an ISV, as a technology um, powered by AWS. Also, you can't just take it from Dave and I, you got to look at the third parties that say very similar things. Um, IDC, uh, Forrester, Gartner, I'm sure most of you, we use the Gartner Magic Quadrant a lot, um, but at the end of the day, I know my partners today, they just show me the money, Jane, right? Where's the money? Well, I, I pulled this off of the web, right? Just Googled it. Um, take a look at these sites. It is, it is really incredible information. Billions of dollars are sitting out there in refresh that are not going to be refreshed in hardware. They shouldn't be refreshed in hardware. And it's not to say that it's an all or nothing proposition. Certainly hardware, there's always going to be some hardware on site most likely for all lots of reasons, right? Um, but here's a third party saying how much money is out there. These numbers are going to change, um, but this is just a snapshot in how that looks. Partners focused on public sector, just a snapshot of, of who uh, we have on our purview. You know, I mean, today was all about partners here at reInvent. Um, there are hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of partners um, that we're so proud of that have joined the community of partners. Uh, on the public sector side, of course, we have a portion of those partners that are dedicated to public sector. Many commercial partners, like I indicated earlier, are wanting to expand into the commercial, into the uh, private sector, public sector, excuse me, um, because it's an annuity. You get into a government agency and you, you prove your salt, you earn their trust, they want you to stay around. You're solving challenges for them, problems that have been there for ages, decades, right? And are you, you're seeing that globally, right, And it's Dave? typically replicable. And the idea is if you can do it one place and successful, other governments are looking for the same things, and it's the solutions that you bring. So, um, uh, you know, it's 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 a tough thing to get into, but mm -hmm. when you get going with it, it's a really for those of you who are new to it or haven't done it, it's a it's a great space to be in, and there's a lot of room. And and the difference, because you said the problems are very similar, the challenges that you solve for, even if I go to London or. So or come back into DC. So one of the great things I learned, I, I, I took this job to do international about three, three or four years ago. And so I go overseas and everybody says, we're different here. We do it differently, you have to learn our way. And my big takeaway after doing this for three or four years is it's actually very similar. Mm -hmm. Governments around the world, 
have the same thinking, same process, the same core issues that are there. And it's a fascinating thing to find. And in state and local, and in the U.S. federal government, it's the same thing. Same. So the same, and we're gonna talk about the same core issues today. So if you get good at the core issues in one place, it transfers. And there may be a different law on the books. There may be a different policy that that agency follows, but it's not that different. They may use have different nomenclature for, for what they call it. But as Dave indicated, it's the same fundamental understanding of how to go to market in a cloud environment with utility pricing, pay-as-you-go model, um, but the contracting, the fundamental understanding of the elasticity, the agility of the cloud is the same. Mm -hmm. Because our services work the same way across the globe for every customer, right? So why is cloud procurement so important? For all those reasons. We got to get it right. Otherwise, you as partners and customers are not going to be able to buy cloud. You're not going to be able to utilize it unless you are fortunate enough to do a sole source or um, maybe, um, you know, maybe there's a, a buying threshold that, you know, the, the customer can spend up to $50,000 on their credit card. Those, those instances are few and far between, especially in public sector. And I'm telling you, even in the commercial world, they'll go out to bid because they want to make sure that they're getting the best bang for their buck. So quick question, we should have asked this in the beginning. How many people have actually done a government bid? Partners have responded to a government bid. So it looks like a lot of people haven't done that. So, okay, so we just want to make sure we're covering those pieces. But so a couple of things to talk about here is you have to understand how government thinks around these bids. Um, and these are just some very basic things that we run into. It is spending taxpayer money when you're spending taxpayer money, you're typically risk adverse and you're very careful about how you do it. There's a careful process in place. And the key part is understanding that process and understanding how it can work with cloud and how it can't work with cloud and working through those pieces. So the first thing is just to understand it. Don't assume it's something new or the same way you've done it in the commercial space. Procurements take years in public sector world. You may, you go through a investigative stage, maybe a marketing analysis phase, then it may move to an RFI, which is a request for information. That's usually your time, your opportunity to say, hey, this does not look right. Please let me educate you, Mr. Procurement Person. Let's, let's talk about cloud. Let's talk about my solution that's powered in the cloud. This is your opportunity because they are lengthy in years. And when, let me bring one thing about lengthy, is one of the things that's been really fun working at Amazon is Amazon's not afraid to try to change things and be a leader in changing Disruptive? things. Disruptive, is that the word? I think that's the word. <laughs> um, and using cloud is not a year long or two year long RFP process. It's absurd that you'd go through a two year process to buy, a, buy cloud. Um, so one of the things we're working with governments on, we're trying to do this and there are good examples around the world where government can buy much faster, much more agile. With agility and speed and understand how that works. So that's a key thing I have. So these are the things that I've done in the past, but I think governments even recognize today that they have to change out of this too. Yeah. And there are more and more of them are doing it. And so we all need to do that together because I think ultimately the way I look at it is I'm in new government my entire career. This will help citizens in the end. Doing right. things fast, doing things quickly and easily and experimenting is good for citizens. And that's and, the ultimate we want to be. And because we are disruptive and innovating, every year you come to reInvent, hopefully this isn't your first one, but if it is, next year there will have been hundreds, if not thousands of innovative uh, feature functionality and, and new offerings. If, if you, it takes you a year, even a year, to go through that procurement that process, it's already old, it's already out of date. So that's why we need to ensure that we shape that opportunity. Highly prescriptive. That means that old procurement where it was like, I need three blade servers that have a 60 gigabyte hard drive and I want it delivered on Sunday and I want the guy to show up in his minivan to fix it every week. We, okay. we get the ones with the, the loading docks <laughs> and the heights of the loading docks. Yeah. You know, that's the kind of detail, that's yeah. prescriptive. Yeah, you don't want that in cloud, why not? Why do you not want that in a cloud procurement? Because- You want to ask them or me? <laughs> why do you not want that in a cloud environment? It changes all the time. And isn't that a good thing, right? Because then you can deliver to your customers exactly what they need, when they need it. And you don't need to worry about, I literally heard this the other day about an issue where the thickness of the doors, and I'm not kidding, the thickness of the doors in the data center were an issue. And okay. you know, if you really think about it, does that matter? 
Right. It's the outcomes that matter. Right. And that's right. the shift in thinking that we have to get through. Outcomes. Go for the, really question your customer about what is the outcome that you need to have happen and work backwards from the customer. That will help to develop that procurement vehicle, okay? Rigid terms and conditions. Okay, I color the gray hair, all right? Because I've negotiated about 200 cloud contracts. <laughs> it is arduous, right? But we've made it to the other side and, and the, the sun is shining. Um, we, I, I think that um, should any of you still have an issue with terms and conditions, which I'm not saying you won't, but I am saying you should be able to get through them if you're the, a council along with your business champion are in the same room because it's the education process that, oh, by the way, you have to teach the lawyer in the room what cloud is. You've already taught the business person in the room what cloud is, but I'm sorry to say you got to teach the lawyer. And the takeaway I have is it's simply understanding why the terms work the way they do. Yeah. And you have to understand it, and then you have to talk to the government and help them understand it. Yeah. There are reasons, and there are good reasons why. It seems different than traditional buying hardware, buying software, but there are good reasons why. And understanding the why is the key thing. If, again, if you're walking out of the room, that would be the second big takeaway. Why? Because why does the door need to be that thickness in the data center when you're powered by AWS? Some guy wrote a plan in 1978. Exactly. Traditional security approaches. So we, I do obviously a lot with state and local government and um, every state has its own security policy. Of course it was written in 1950. And I try to tell them that AWS security, top notch. It's the number one thing that we're, we're concerned with because uh, that's that's the most important key to everything, right? If if people can get to your data, we would be out of business. This is this is the only thing we do. So, and they're like, well, just then, just keep it on the books, right? It's the same thing with the terms and conditions. It doesn't apply. You need to move forward in your thinking and really evaluate what are the words on the page, and why were they written in the first place. If it still has relevance, absolutely, let's keep it. But you, you really need to be the person who does question in a very respectful way to get them to take a hard look at that. And many government customers, you know, they're there for the duration, right? And a lot of them are getting ready to retire. They just want you to just do one more procurement and be done with it, right? It's worth the time and energy because, again, once you're in there, you become that trusted advisor to that government customer. And their security, that's their job number one, too. So take a look at what they have, but respectfully show them what they're going to get, which is a thousand times more secure. Fixed pricing. It still exists. Many of our federal bids are still firm fixed price. For my partners in the room, they love it. I just talked to one an hour ago, and I said, hey, you, are you still liking those firm fixed bids? Absolutely because they have figured out the AWS utility. They know how to make it such that the customer is um, optimized in their AWS utilization. And so therefore they can pretty much determine what that spend is gonna be on AWS. So they can go ahead and lock in that bid. Generally they're managed service providers, so they're, they're providing more than just uh, possibly resell of AWS. If it's resell, that, that's not firm fixed price, right? And but, we'll talk about all these in a little bit. Yeah, but firm fixed price still can exist. So fixed pricing, you got to be careful of what's the devil's in the details, right? And then, of course, predictable payment. Predictable payment. Governments are used to just sort of a monthly standard. I know exactly what I'm going to be doing. If you know the cloud, the cloud is a utility and it's shifting the thinking around utility. I think the easiest way we've done it is we've literally gone in and said, you have a cell contract or you have an electric contract, let's start working off the, that concept. And that's how you get kind of procurement people. Sometimes the procurement people love to have a challenge. And that's a challenge to say, how do I take these existing tools that I have and use them? And so um, getting them out of that mindset of the predictable payment. The good news is we have some great, very uh, short and succinct documentation that can help you with each one of these conversations uh, highlighted here in the bullets to talk to your procurement people. And we do have capture teams, what I do, both in the U.S. and around the world, who can actually help with those, those conversations as well. We're happy to do it. 
All right, so cloud adoption. This is sort of the overall slide that we look at. And these are the things that we have seen as an organization over the last, I've been here five and a half years, probably going on probably seven or eight years. These are the things that we've walked through. So first, it's just simply understanding the cloud. And that's a really critical component, is sitting down and making sure people understand what it is. Even the legal and procurement people. There's nothing wrong with showing them very quickly, here's how this thing works. Otherwise, it's locked in the head of hardware or traditional way of buying things. Um, policy, have to understand the policies that are there. A lot of policies are from the 70s, like we talked about, yeah. or, or our, our privacy policies that are all good, good, good intention, but have an issue about how they're, they're set up. And so understanding those policies in advance, and usually the government can point you through the policies to, to work through that, but understanding the policy piece. We have a whole policy team. We spend a lot of time trying to make sure we understand the details of those things so they become cloud friendly. And understanding those in advance, finding that out at RFP release, is a difficult process. Security compliance, Jane talked about security and compliance. It is a shift in thinking. And I'll give you my one example of security and compliance. We had a customer who came in and said, you have to match our compliance regime. Okay, well, we can't go off and match every client uh, regime. It's just, we, we're a big company, millions of customers, that would be impossible. But we did a deep dive. What it turned out to be was ISO 27001 with a little layer over it. ISO 27001 worked. It was the actual security module mm -hmm. of that. They didn't even realize it. Right. So it's the kind of thing where it's that deep dive and asking the question and working through those kinds of things. Um, procurement, and that's what we're talking about today. Procuring is different. The last one up top, and we'll talk about, there's a lot of months of that we'll be talking about, is culture. Ultimately, this is a cultural change for folks. This is a cultural change for the business folks, the leadership, the technical folks, the security folks, the finance folks, the legal folks, the procurement folks, all of these folks are going through a cultural shift. And cultural shifts are scary. And so our job is to help them through this. There are great benefits on the end of that. And we want to make sure they access those benefits. But understand, I think you have to be sympathetic too, is understanding that there is this cultural shift. And so Jane and I have had that conversation plenty of times. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about some ideas about how to help go through that. Yep. But it, it is, that's the way you have to think about this. I'm going there and doing that. And it all leads to broad adoption, right? Not, if, if there's just a single person in that agency or customer that you're talking to, okay, they're your champion. You have to now take that champion by the hand and spread out. You have to get more buy-in. Otherwise, you're just gonna be barking up a tree for a very long time, okay? Broad adoption to that. Who okay. does what in the cloud? Um, I finally, I worked with the state of Delaware and 13 other state CIOs in my first or second year here. And we, they brought in their cloud contract and they were very proud of their cloud contract. They'd worked very hard on coming up with that. And then we spent three days ripping it apart. But the good news was we, the way we were able to agree to this new cloud thing out of this hardware IT focused procurement was this model the software as a service, platform as a service, and infrastructure as a service. Now, seven years later, we don't really talk about it in that way so much, but it is a fantastic starting point for you if this is a new cloud customer, because it really delineates who does what in a cloud procurement. And, and so we've tried to put some color coding here so that it helps you then to differentiate to that procurement officer because at the end of the day, who does what is what establishes the terms and yep. conditions, right? And, and one of the challenges we've had, we've also seen people lump all cloud together into one thing. Mm -hmm. And trying to buy software as a service is very different than buying platform or, or infrastructure as a service. And we, we will leave it unnamed, a certain state, um, uh, tried to blend it all together. And I don't know how many times we banged our head against that wall where we, by blending all the terms, it doesn't work. It simply didn't work for any of the, for the uh, customers okay. and for the, for, the, for, the, um, for the cloud providers. And I'll give you an example. A managed service provider, okay? They would probably be, be the, uh, the fourth column here that's not showing, or even take a software as a service. Software as a service is an application powered by AWS in, most likely, right? They're providing the application, okay? So that little terms and conditions in there where it says, um, I want you to be sure as the provider to encrypt all my data. 
They're, they're not touching your data. It's an application that they're using. Well, you know, that's stock standard language, Jane. Can't we just keep it in there? No, it doesn't apply. It doesn't apply in this scenario. I am creating a technology powered in the cloud, and, and therefore that does not apply. Infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, and then managed service. A managed service provider is probably the most um, closely aligned with a traditional IT contract because you can ask them to do whatever you want them to do. And if they want to negotiate and agree, fine. That's a managed service. So that's the closest that you can get to the old-fashioned terms and conditions um, from a professional services contract, really, right? So depending on then how they want to procure the actual AWS piece of that is what kind of is in the details. But I would highly suggest that this conversation is, is very foundational to getting them to understand what the heck is infrastructure. And, and they probably haven't thought about it that way. They're buying right. cloud and you have to start getting into the detail, make them think about it. That's, right. that's the lesson I have. It, it will help then get those terms changed or modified, okay? Even if they don't end up buying this way, it will get their brain to start thinking of it differently to get out of the mindset of just pulling out the old contract. Any questions? Sure. Right. Well, excellent question. So our simple monthly calculator, which isn't quite so simple if anybody has used it, but it is, it is a good, good estimate, right? And um, I would highly suggest that if you are going to agree to a firm fixed price that you already have that technical acumen and have had plenty of workloads running on AWS to see what, how usage works, right? So you as a partner or a customer must understand peaks and valleys of the elasticity, like you know, a, a voter registration application, right? On voter day, shoo, it's through the roof, right? Every other day, it's only 50 cents a day. I mean, big analogy, right? But, but as a managed service provider then, you're putting in that buffer margin. And um, so then for the peaks and valleys of, of the AWS portion of your opportunity, you have your margin over here for your professional service or your managed service that compensates or compensates for that uh, flux, flux, uh, flexibility, right? That's how you can agree to that fixed price. But you don't do it as a, as a newcomer, okay? You have to have experienced and be able to know that that workload that's running on my customer, it is optimized. It, it is, is doing what it needs to do. And it's also, I've, I've seen it as an iterative process. Um, obviously, sitting down yourself and doing it, coming to AWS, mm -hmm. we have solution architects, so we're happy to go through those things. Also, sitting down with the customer, especially if you're early in the process. <laughs> Sometimes sitting down with them and actually walking them through and showing them, here are the things we're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. They come up with ideas. Yep. And so, it's not a one-time at RFP at the last day, it's right. due tomorrow, I'm going to go do yeah. this. You're going to be in trouble. It's doing this over time and kind of getting your sense of it. And again, part of our job, capture, my job is to be involved early before an RFP is out. Um, that's a critical part. If you haven't done this business before, doing the things just at RFP is problematic. So, And it, it's a very similar theory to our reserved instance purchasing. You want to wait and establish a consistent baseline of the utilization of the AWS usage before you really go for the reserved instance, right? So that you, again, you're hedging whatever that cost mechanism is. Does that make sense? Beautiful. We can talk about it more too at the end. All right. Okay, so what makes a successful cloud procurement? Whether it's a buying mechanism or a specific RFP, um, there's a few kind of key takeaways that Jane and I have run into over the years. First, it focuses on the benefits and the end user. It is not focused on the hardware, the three millimeter, difference on the door, all those kind of things. It's focused on the end. What am I trying to accomplish? That's a big shift for government. They used to prescribe. Um, Performance-based, what am I going to get out of this? That's how I've written my RFP. This is how I've written my contract. Is the performance 
what I need it to be. It's again, not the actual equipment or the things. Um, outcomes, um, I'm looking at outcomes. Um, do not recycle traditional IT. I think that's a big theme in this whole thing. Yeah. Hardware, buying through a hardware contract never works. We have tried, I don't know how many times we have tried to take a square peg and put it in a round hole. And I've seen partners try it, I've seen government try it, and it's painful for everybody. And we have talked to people and said, just stop, the slow down. We'd rather actually do this right. correctly and slower than do it incorrectly and have a year. And I've seen, we've seen cloud contracts that simply don't work. A lot of blood, sweat, and tears put in by partners, by AWS, by the government, and they don't work. And that's more painful than mm -hmm. spending the time up front doing it. Um, Self-service self and pay-as-you-go. That is a big shift for partners and government to actually have people go on there and do it themselves. They're very used to the sort of system integration world mm -hmm. and come in and do all of this for me. You're going to do it yourself. That's a big part of AWS. Or you're going to hire somebody to go do it for you. It's Lego pieces. I, my, my, my simple way of talking about it is the Home Depot model. Oh, um, if you think about it, you know, AWS is this enormous array of incredible set of services. You know, all the things that are there. But you don't want to ask Home Depot to come build your deck for you. Yeah, people come do that, or you do it yourself. And so it's a simple way to think about it, but that's the kind of shift in thinking that we have to get out of it. And then allowing the access to the innovation. We'll talk about that in a little bit too. Okay, so this is another really, really critical thing. We did hint to this earlier. When you start having the discussions with a government, and if you're in government, this is not just a couple of technical people in the room or CIO talking to the end customer or us or, who, or the partner. You need to bring in, there's a team that needs to be brought in. And I talked about the procurement, the legal, the finance, all these people, bringing them in early. And actually, we have demoed to lawyers. And actually, even demoing for 15 minutes to a lawyer to show them how it works makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Because they kind of, the light bulb goes off and they go, oh, I understand this now. So I always recommend, it doesn't have to be this full list, but there's like a tiger team. Bring in a bunch of people, these core people who are going to make these decisions, bring them in together and bring them through the process together. Don't, what government likes to do is work on it and then go, here procurement, flip. procurement takes it and they just take their standard stuff, stick it in, throw it out the door. And if that occurs, typically we have an RFP that we struggle with or partners struggle with and we're trying to avoid that. So bringing this list of folks in early to have these discussions makes a big difference. And for my partners in the room, I can't emphasize enough get a five minute demo, like Dave said, a live demo. And I know some of us are really worried about internet connections and things like that. Get a five minute demo that you can show. There is nothing more powerful than speaking to this group of people or a subset of them and say, look, I'll, I'll just show you right now. It, it's super simple to spin up a server on AWS. And it's not a technical demo. It's no. just a very simple, just conceptual idea. Bring it up five minutes or less. It takes them sometimes five months to procure a server through their IT department to get a simple application to expand. Maybe not even a whole new application, but they're preparing for something where they need to scale and they've had to bring, they had to go get extra budget or maybe just to procure the new server. It can take months just to make the requisitions for that. You just showed them how in five minutes or less, you've just brought a whole new server online. What could take them five months or more to get procured and up and not just procured, but find a place in the data center for it. You got to heat it and cool it. That's extra money, manpower to, to get it all up and running. You got to test it. Did that happen at midnight on the weekend? You just did it in five minutes. It's the power of a demo, power of just showing them how to turn it on. Also, when you're in that account, then you can show them a few things like, Hey, Mr. Customer, you have the capability of deciding if you want to encrypt that data or not. You don't, you no longer have to rely and pay a, a, you know, a systems integrator or, or hire somebody else to press that button. You, the customer, and when I say customer, that can be the partner, right? You get to decide who does those things. That's the, that's the model that AWS has, has created in this uh, shared model of utilization. Okay, we just wanted to give you a quick <laughs> overview of just some of the ways that um, contracts can work. And again, I know this is really mundane, detailed stuff, but it's really important to understand this, both 
working with government, working with AWS, and bringing those pieces together. Um, so first of all, there's obviously, people go direct with AWS, and that's out there. Now remember, even as a partner though, that's not a threat to a partner, because AWS provides, in a sense, the raw cloud. The real value of partners is the services mm -hmm. and all the pieces around that, the, the, the contractor part, building the deck yep. part. And so that's a part that's there. Um, indirect, and we have a variety of indirect approaches that people use. So understanding the different approaches around indirect, and this is obviously a much deeper conversation, but it's understanding those pieces. And then obviously understanding the contract types that are out there. Jane mentioned sole source a little bit earlier. That's something we always look for, is lots of countries have these caps and they can go sole source. That's a great way to get started. And that's half the battle, is getting started, getting them used to it, and when they get used to it, then you can start doing the broader things. So understanding these different approaches, I think is a great way to get going. Beautiful. And I couldn't be up here if I didn't talk about the importance of partners. And as, as Dave alluded to, it really, it, again, even when a customer comes to AWS, I have a lot of education customers who have insisted on having a direct agreement to procure their AWS with us directly. But the second they are finished doing that, they say, Jane, can you please recommend a partner? Because I only have two IT guys. And I need a partner to come in to, to show us how to use it, or build me a data lake, or you know, pick your solution, right? Again, what are the outcomes that you need? They want the control because they're concerned about their data. Again, they're not fully educated, they're not fully in the know, and you know, sometimes they just want and need that control. Maybe for policy purposes, maybe for law purposes. So partners are a vital piece of this puzzle that, that we're trying to solve for here. Um, so these are just some examples of, of where they can be utilized. Um, certainly, I got a lot of partners that are very creative. So the, the sky's the limit, all right? And, but, but don't count it out if your customer wants to get their AWS account directly. There's still plenty of room for partners, and probably even more so to make more margin um, and more revenue, because you've taken that whole utility thing out of the, out of the question. It's no longer even in the equation. Mm -hmm. They're going to go get their AWS and buy it. You are the trusted advisor in helping them to get through. Um, yeah, any questions on that? I know I have a lot of partners in the room. Yeah. You know, so I brought up the education because a lot of my large education universities in the U.S., a lot of them have made the decision to come direct to, again, buy their AWS. And the, the first customer was really the researcher because he's getting his grant money. He just wants to get in and get the account, get his hands dirty and get going, right? But once we got past the researcher element and got into the IT of the university, that was when they were like, I'm busy enough. I just have to man the blinky lights. Somebody else come in and take care of this, all right? Um, government generally is 99.9% .9 indirect. Biggest reason, well, two reasons. They do not have the manpower they do not have the skills. They are so used to bringing in partners to do all of their, their work for them. I mean, that's just a standard model. And terms and conditions. They are still figuring out how to change their terms and conditions models. And, and they can. So um, globally, are you finding direct or indirect, Dave? Same story. Same thing? Same story. Um, there's a couple of directs out there, um, but typically the partner piece comes in is an important part of that. So, um, so it's it's the same story. Now, I, I think I expect that to change. Yeah. I think there's going to be more direct to buy the raw cloud, as we call it. Yeah. But, like again, we want to emphasize that the partner is still a critical part of this. And actually, the real true heart of the partner is where they're going to be focused, doing the services and doing the help. And and I want to bring up because we've changed our reseller model uh, of late, and we call it the solution provider program. And under that program, there's actually two options. Traditional resell, where you, the reseller or partner of AWS, actually procure the account, you maintain ownership of the account, and you, um, you give access if that customer wants uh, access to that account. Well, the second portion to the solution provider program is what we call the end customer model. Because our customers were saying, I'm University X, 
I negotiated my agreement with Amazon. I want to continue under those terms, but I am sick of doing and keeping up with my own billing. I want to use a partner who is expert at cost optim optimization. And so therefore, I want to be able to link my account up to that partner's reseller account, master payer, and they pay the bill on my behalf so they can make sure that I'm fully optimized and, and just take care of the bill because it's hundreds of thousands of lines long. That's called the end customer model. We still call you a reseller, but the end user is buying off of their own terms. So that's a recent uh, change to our reseller model. So it, it might right. be of interest to some and, of you. And, and the bottom line lesson is come talk to us about the different models and approaches. There's lots mm -hmm. of innovative, innovative ways people have worked with us. Beautiful. Does influence spending come into play in that at all? Influence spending? Right. Isn't there a portion of the partner program? <coughs> yes. Claim credit effectively? Absolutely, yes. Influence revenue is still a part of the APN partner program today. Although if any of you were in Terry Wise's announcement this morning, that's changing. <laughs> and uh, they had a subsequent session to talk about that. It's um, being a part of the APN is going to be more about launched opportunities. Um, so stay tuned as a partner. You'll be getting those details in the mail, so to speak. Um, but yes, as of, and, and that doesn't really go into effect until I think August um, officially, but that's what the shift will be. But yes, today there is a component of influence spend where if you're not a reseller or or if you are, um, you're just doing, you know, providing professional services um, to the customer, of course, you know, you're not having direct spend. And so then you can say, hey, AWS, I influence that customer's spend. And then depending on what that spend is, is of course what you see in influence revenue so that it helps you and your partner status. Okay, yeah. Yes. Right. 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 Sure. Ah, right. So we've talked to governments yeah. and even yeah. I think universities where we almost want to make them a partner. Right. Put them right. in the partner model. Yes. Um, and so that's the kind of creative thinking that we like to do. Mm -hmm. And this company, and when I came here five and a half years ago to today, how much more flexible we're learning this, the, the company's learning this. Mm -hmm. We are, so that's the kind of way we can think about it. And that's the kind of thing we can get done with yep. the right people and the right approach. Um, th that's something we can easily accomplish. We actually, Cal Poly University in San Luis Obispo, California is an AWS partner. Their IT shop is an AWS partner. They want to help the, their community because obviously San Luis is in the middle of California, not much around there except the beautiful scenery. And they are going to start providing managed services to the city, the county, and there's uh, law enforcement agencies that work out there. They're going to provide those services. It's an income to the university. They're also the trusted advisor out there, right? They're creating great engineers. Um, university of Maryland, they also did the same thing with our workspaces, with our VDI solution. They, a portion of the university, they you know, created an LLC, they became a partner, they are now providing workspaces to the university. So, absolutely, yep. love to talk about it. So, uh, importance of the partner role again, it's technical enablement, business enablement, sales and marketing enablement. A lot of fine print underneath. But this is what I teach my partners 
they have to have a technical component, a business component, and a support and marketing component. If you don't have one of those, then I suggest teaming with another partner who does. Because all four of these elements are needed to really be successful. Um, because if you can't architect it, how do you execute on it? And then if you got those two, who's going to support it? And oh, by the way, you got to sell it, you know, market it. All four of those components make sense. Many of my partners do not have all four of those. Maybe they're awesome at selling, but they, can't, they don't have enough technical people to scale. So I hitch their wagon with another partner who is excellent at the technical components, but they don't have any sellers. They're all technical guys. They make a great match. So a lot of different ways to skin this thing, okay? You don't have to be all things to all people in this new, differentiated, disruptive cloud environment. Partner models, just kind of a recap. We uh, talked about the different you know, ver uh, options of infrastructure as a service, platform, SaaS, managed service, reselling. Um, we at AWS term reselling as someone who, well, first of all, you have to be authorized and, and, and sign up to some program documentation. And then you are a reseller if you procure the AWS account and you authorize someone outside of your legal entity to have access, meaning the login, to that account such that that individual or, or company can procure services via the console. That is what we consider reselling. You, the person who procured, or the company that procured that account, maintain ownership of that account throughout the duration. You maintain the liability of all the actions that occur within that account. So we take resell very seriously in the partner organization. All of my partners go through operational excellence training, how to work the accounts, how to make sure that they know how to use AWS organizations as a tool, how to do billing at scale. Maybe I hook you up with a, um, a company that, um, like Cloud Checker, who does, you know, specializes in billing and uh, customized reporting. Um, but that's how we consider resale. So it's not quite the traditional model, of course, of, of hardware. Um, planning and assessment. Many partners, their sweet spot is simply the front end. They go in and they do all of this shaping that Dave and I have talked about and talking about assessing the environment or assessing their applications. Maybe those applications don't even need to be migrated to the cloud. Maybe you need to start from scratch and use Aurora to build a data lake mm -hmm. instead of bringing that third-party <clears throat> software in there. Um, of course, systems integrators can't live without them, can't live with them, right? Awesome companies. They've been around a long time, very trusted by governments. They're, they're going to be there forever. Many of you partners in the room today will team up with those systems integrators. They're there to be the big consultant. You, as, as our other partners, are there to be those technical advocates to really determine what those outcomes really are, okay? And then, of course, migration partners. You come in, get that stuff moved over to the cloud, hopefully you're going to optimize it or somebody's going to come along and optimize it to get that true benefit of the cloud. Um, this, and, and then there's also the managed service provider partner, which we've already discussed. That's, that's the typical model, and then, of course, we have our ISVs that are powered, the solutions are powered by AWS. Yeah. What kind of value add? Your value add in resell is the value that you put on top of it. Now, some of the resellers, they may uplift the charge, but the margin is so slim, right? At AWS, we want that value to be not the resell. Resell is an in, a means to an end, all right? It gets the customer the account that they need and they can't procure it directly. We want our partners, and if, um, if you've been through the APN and if not, I can get you hooked up, whatever. Um, we want you to sh demonstrate competencies. We want you to, dem what is your sweet spot? Are you a DevOps shop? Are you migration, uh, Microsoft workloads? What is it that you do well? You build data lakes? Um, that is your value add. 
on top of resale. There are very few resellers in the commercial world. We do have them in a big way in public sector because our government customers have a trouble buying direct, like I said. So, but the, and, and, and so I have a few that do resell at scale, so therefore they're able to make their necessary margin to keep their revenues flowing. But the partners that are successful at resale beyond those few are the ones that truly bring the solutioning, the value add, the outcomes. They're bringing the outcomes to that customer. And we see a lot of partners try to come in and start with resell. I want to start by resell because it's like an OEM model, a traditional model doing it. We always tell them resell is an add-on later. Start with the expertise that Jane's talking about. And then resell is a nice thing to have for your customer in the end. Right. Okay, so let's jump we into a couple of quick key considerations quick around procurement. We'll just go through a bunch of these real fast. These are the kind of things, I know procurement is just, it's, it's a tedious, hard subject, but these are things that we run into that you have to be on top of to understand some of the differences and, and, and what you have to teach how to government to work. So first thing, we always talk about our innovation and our pace of innovation. You know, this simple slide, I mean, Andy will hit it tomorrow, yep. how many thousand things we've done in a year. Bottom line is this, governments love to have fixed contracts, fixed set, fixed set of services. Here's this list of services. And we've seen it come out where they have this list of services, reInvent happens, wow, oh, there's 30 <laughs> new great things. You can't access them because the contract won't allow it to be on there. But guess what? We don't court anything off. So as soon as they have access to the console, they have access to all those new features. But then so it gets contractually tricky. Right. So you all of a sudden have somebody using this, it's under their terms that they've agreed to. The next one is under actually the AWS click-through. Gets complicated. Again, right. mundane, detailed stuff, but it does make a difference. It's and, the kind of thing to be on top and of. And that's why you need to convince them that they've got to go with, the, let, let the innovation happen. You want to be able to take advantage of that innovation. You don't want to be stuck in the, you know, the 10th version down here. You want to be able to access that innovation or you're not taking advantage of the cloud. And the worst case examples are, we'll allow you to put these five types of services in, that's it. Why, why do you want five? Yeah. And that's kind of thing we have to work them through. So another area, governance. This is a real tricky area that people don't think about until later. We've seen actually governments say, oh, we'll deal with the governance process later. It's vital upfront. So this slide right here is just a very high level view of how government works traditionally today with governance and procurement. It's basically end user comes in, there's sort of a series of steps or barriers to get what you're buying and then you utilize. Um, and that's a traditional way and that's how government thinks about it. And so what they end up trying to do with cloud is put that same wall up and that same approach and have their end customers work through that process to get to it. Let's go to the next slide. Okay. If you're using cloud, doesn't have to just be AWS, effectively, you use the tools within the cloud to actually manage the governance. So allow your end users to go in there and do it. There are tools out there. We have our IAM tools, we have AWS organizations. All of these tools can be used to manage how the cloud is being utilized. Building alerts so people don't go over. So you have to think about it as letting people access and using those tools around it. That is a huge shift in thinking, but it is a critical, and we talked about benefits, accessing the benefits of the cloud. We want to make sure you have full access to the benefits. Something like this has to be thought about as you go forward. And partners can actually be, that's the role you can play as a partner, is you can help manage this and design this. You don't, you don't want to have to place it all up front before you ever touch the cloud. You want to get in there, use the tools, and create the governance as you go, okay? Okay. Uh, keep going, that's a, a couple <laughs> examples of governance and we're, we're getting tight on time. Utility pricing. Um, like we talked about, you know, there are models out there. I've, I've actually had procurement folks go, oh, a cell contract. Oh, let's start with that. And then you get them thinking, this is why I bring them in the process early, because if they do that at the end in the RFP, it, again, it will not work. But allowing the utility pricing and the flex and the, and the, um, the up and down that happens around it is critically important. And building the right procurement model for that, or allowing that to occur, again, full benefits of the cloud. And, and there are contracts out there online where you can see that this is happening. And the one I want to point you to is the state of Texas uh, Department of Information Resources called Texas DIR. You can actually go see the contractual language that we uh, help put in place that talks about um, pay-as-you-go, utility pricing, and, and allowing for the innovation to happen. So Texas DIR, all those contracts are online. Shared responsibility model. This is a critical part about how AWS works. Who does what in the cloud? 
And this is a discussion that you'll hear regularly from AWS. This discussion needs to be brought into the procurement too because the procurement can actually take all of these pieces and put them on either the partner or the cloud provider when other things are controlled there. So bringing this discussion forward is a critical part of how we do it. Who owns what and where the model is. Mm -hmm. This is basically taking my swim lane slide and tilting it, okay, and talking just about the security piece. Again, when your stakeholders know and understand whose responsibility it is to do what, where, that sets the tone for the terms and conditions to be successful. Mm -hmm. We also like to throw encryption in here. Just this is an example, I think it always resonates with people. We see RFPs where the data, to AWS, the data must be encrypted. We have a problem with that. The reason is, is you control the encryption. The end user, I choose what to encrypt or not. And if you're asking AWS to do the encryption, that's not how we're designed. And so what we ask people to think about, and this is just again a simple example, is ask for the capability to encrypt data. It's a very, that word capability changes the whole sentence. Just the word. The word. Just the word capability so. can change that. That's a, something you can shape to make happen. Audits. Again, we ran into this with the state of Texas when we were talking. It was a state law that they needed to audit every data center. Okay, why do we not want folks in the data center just milling around, taking a little buzz tour? Security, right? We don't want them touching all the blinky lights, right? And that's all that's in there. I mean, it, the data is flowing amongst the wires, right? So again, you know, we have lots of materials that you can read up on to help you have these audit discussions of why this this shouldn't be what they want either. Okay, audits most importantly, third-party evidence. And this is in our SOC reports, the SOC SOC reports, that now you can go into the console and ask for those SOC reports. They're uh, under NDA, and uh, some of them are actually um, out on the compliance websites. But the SOC reports are third-party audits that take place, some every six months, some every uh, annually, some biannually. Um, but that is the evidence. That is all the audit trail that should be necessary to get you and your customers over the audit question, okay? And if any of you have trouble getting a hold of those SOC reports, um, please contact your partner development manager uh, and or your AWS account manager or go to the compliance, the AWS compliance website and they can, there's contact us buttons, they can get you the reports that you need to provide that third party evidence, okay? SLAs, this is another one that we regularly run into about creating SLA specific, either a blanket SLA or creating, here are the SLAs that we want. As a provider to millions of customers, we have a single set of SLAs. We could, if, imagine us trying to create SLAs for every single different contract. Our, our process wouldn't work, our model wouldn't work. And we can do this because the services work the same way in China, in Africa and everywhere across the globe, the services work the same way. So the SLAs can remain this formulative, okay? And as a partner, if you're providing a managed service, a value add, you can add on SLAs to meet your customers' requirements. Remember, you're asking them for the outcomes. Maybe that is, I need you to call me every Tuesday to make sure my AWS account is running. Okay, you want an SLA around that? Okay. That's for you to decide, right? You can pile on SLAs in addition to these, but this is how our infrastructure is run so that everybody gets the same thing. I think about it. Either the end user or the partner is building the SLA based on how the architect on AWS. Yeah. It's that simple. So terms right. and conditions. And I this, think we've hit this one. Yeah, so are. terms and conditions is a critical part. And understanding from a partner perspective, what flows down. That's the bottom line. So anyway, this is a longer discussion. It's worth having the discussion. We're happy to do that in advance too as well. How can we help? Great website we finally created. Uh, it really is a how to buy. And um, there is multiple layers within this website. All of the documentation um, that Dave and I have worked and our colleagues and peers have helped to create are here on this site. And uh, I would highly encourage you to go out there. It really does talk through all these things that we have talked about. 
um, how to have those conversations. Again, for my partners in the room, I've got some great documentation that can tell you to, to teach you how to have those hard conversations. We also have a contracts page. So again, that Texas contract that I referred to, you can actually link directly to that contracts page from our contracts page. It demonstrates the different contract vehicles or pathways that are out there for you and your customers possibly to utilize and or team with others to get access to those contract pathways, okay? This is all Dave. Okay, we have 14 seconds left, so. Um, <laughs> I think, I think um, and I yeah. know it's happy hour time, so we'll, uh, so obviously just work with, we have a team, capture, reach out and work with us. Early engagement's the critical part. That's the takeaway. Don't come to it. RFP, we can help. We're happy to help provide content, narrative, those kinds of things. But coming early is the way it works, and where yeah. it works best. Starting early and understanding it. And um, all of those things, we're happy to provide guidance and walk through, meet with customers, do what needs to be done, but early is the key part.